Let's turn together once again to Matthew chapter number 5 as we consider our exposition of the book of Matthew here on Wednesday nights. Matthew chapter number 5, and we are looking at verses 33 through 37. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. As we consider these verses, uh, these verses uh, contain four of the six examples and illustrations uh, which show what our Lord meant when he defined verses 17 through 20 about this chapter and the relationship of his teaching and the kingdom and the law of God. So God laid down these principles and he proceeds now, Jesus proceeds to demonstrate and illustrate these principles of this idea of the relationship between his teaching and the reality of the law of God. Uh, he is not just concerned about giving us principles, but to give us specific and positive teaching as to uh, what these words, especially in verses 33 through 37, are about. Uh, every detail in life matters. It's often been said by some that I'm not a very detail-oriented person, or I'm really not into details, just get to the crux of the matter. The Lord Jesus himself was very detailed, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. This has not been a broad sweeping generalizations, but rather this has been very specific as to what was being said, what was being taught, and then what is actually the truth of what's happening here. Uh, sometimes we might ask ourselves the question, uh, are these type of things even profitable for us today? I mean, is it profitable for us to talk about the, the subject we're going to deal with tonight, which is Jesus's teachings on oaths? Uh, is that is that a problem or a circumstance we need to be considering? Uh, should our speech matter? Uh, should our yea be yea and our nay be nay? Which is what he is going to, we're going to read in just a moment. Of course, everything the Bible talks about, everything that is mentioned, especially here uh, in the New Testament, uh, it does matter. Details do matter. Uh, why? Because what we do, what we say, how we act uh, does have an influence on the world. Um, if, if we believe that everybody, and I hope we don't believe this way, but if we believe everybody in the world is actually a Christian, uh, then we would really not have to be concerned about these things. We wouldn't have to be concerned about how do we handle these things. But the reality is, is the world is not Christian and there is a way that the world handles things, and then there's a way that the believer should handle things. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, don't, I am not crazy about people observing me. I'm not crazy about people watching me, and, uh, because it's just, it just kind of uh, gives you that uneasy feeling that somebody's paying attention. But the reality is, as believers, we are being observed. Uh, we're being watched. Uh, everything we do even down to a matter such as what do we do when we are confronted with taking an oath? What did Jesus say about swearing? Uh, what did he say about uh, taking an oath or a promise to tell the truth? Well, that's 
the subject, really, of what we're dealing with tonight with the teachings on oaths. Notice there at verse 33, it says again, ye have heard that it hath been said, and we've learned over the last few weeks uh, that he, Jesus is speaking about what the common understanding of the day was. By them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So here we have an interesting conversation that Jesus is presenting. He's presenting the principles of taking an oath. Um, if, we, if we were to think about Jesus as, was Jesus a, a doctrinal teacher or was he a practical teacher? In many senses, of course, he was both. But remember, none of the practices that Jesus refers to were done without doctrine at the very heart of what he was saying. It reminds us about how the New Testament, especially the epistles of Paul, uh, confront issues of the day. Uh, invariably, Paul, and as we've studied on Sunday mornings, the book of Ephesians, you'll recall the first four chapters of the book of Ephesians are primarily concerned with doctrine. There was very little practical application. But now over the last few weeks, as we've been in chapter 5 of Ephesians, and in a couple weeks we'll be in chapter 6, we see that there's much more practical application of what do I do with the doctrine that I know and apply it into my practical living. So in that epistle to the Ephesians, uh, Paul gives us those amazing doctrinal truths found in those first chapters. And ultimately he's telling us that God's ultimate purpose what God's purpose is, and that this idea that it's God's glory that really is at the heart of everything God is doing, that it is the utmost importance that we even know that uh, Paul makes statements in the book of Romans about lie not to one another, speak the truth always. So we have there kind of an idea of what Paul is dealing with, and we see kind of what Jesus is doing. You see, the gospel itself is not just something we tell and something we explain to somebody who's an unbeliever. The gospel is something that we live continuously. We live the gospel. We live the gospel in that the gospel is doctrine. Uh, the gospel is concerned with the very smallest details of life. Uh, we can get enamored with doctrine, and I've said this, and lose sight of the fact of the reality of how do we practically live a Christian life. Jesus is talking about a very deep doctrinal subject here, but he's making it very practical. So we have to consider what's happening here. Now remember, before we get into this teaching, uh, this whole section on the Sermon on the Mount has been framed with Jesus with the intent of mind of exposing the fallacies of the Pharisees and the scribes 
representation of the Mosaic Law. Remember, he didn't come to correct the Mosaic Law. He came to do what? To correct the Pharisees and scribes' corruption of the Mosaic Law. So the Mosaic Law was still in view here. The Mosaic Law still matters. But he's going to contrast it their misrepresentation with his positive exposition of what it actually means. That's why we see again, ye have heard it hath been said of them of old time. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Here's what's interesting. Those exact words are not found anywhere in the Old Testament. Those words in their exact form are not found anywhere in the Old Testament that reads, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform them unto the Lord thy nose. It's not in the Bible in those terms. So we understand here that he is not dealing with the Mosaic law. He's dealing with the perversion of the Pharisees' approach to it. Again, that mattered when we talked about divorce. That mattered when we talked about temptation. That mattered when we talked about teachings on murder and anger. All of these things matter, but we need to understand that the Pharisees were using indirect statements and were twisting them so that they took on a different meaning. Now again, we're going to see the principles of performing oaths. We're going to see the principles that are mentioned here. However, we also know that The third commandment tells us this, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Deuteronomy 6.13 says, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. And Leviticus 19.12 says, and ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. The Pharisees, no doubt, were very familiar with those scriptures. They were very familiar with the reality of what those meant. And it's out of those that they extracted this teaching. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. So what the Pharisees did is they took those particular verses and they brought those, they extracted their own idea or perception or principle from extracting from those scriptures. But the actual text doesn't say what Jesus says. So what does all this mean? Our Lord is concerned about correcting the false teaching, not just to correct it, but to replace it with that which is true teaching. So by doing this, what does Jesus do? By doing this, Jesus is bringing out, as he has in every other subject we've talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. What is Jesus' purpose? Is to bring out the real intent and the real object of the law, the Mosaic law, as it was given to Moses by God. So Jesus has purposed to give the real intent and the object of the law. Okay, He's not doing away with the law. The law is still binding upon all of us who are believers and who are concerned about the honor and glory of God. One of the grandest ways that we bring honor and the glory of God is our obedience to this law. Now, we've talked about there's ceremonial law, there's the moral law. We know that it's the moral law that is still in effect for today. The moral law has not disappeared. 
There are, there are New Testament believers who call themselves that way that says that the moral law has no longer an effect on us. We don't have to obey the moral laws anymore. Jesus was not talking anything about doing away with moral law. He's taking aim at the perversion and the corruption of the Pharisees' interpretation of the Mosaic law. Folks, one of the great dangers in the churches today is not that the scriptures not being referenced, but the misinterpretation of the scriptures being treated as sound doctrine. That's where the problem comes in. Could you discern what the Bible actually says and what the meaning of the Bible actually is? Or would a verse like this say, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. But it doesn't say that anywhere specifically. They took these verses and they extracted it from them and they came up with this. So now before, as we did with the subject of divorce, we're gonna, we want to approach this really again under three headings. And the first heading is going to be again what the Mosaic law actually was. What was the purpose of the statements in which Jesus is giving here with regard to forswearing or taking of oaths? So the purpose or the, the, the matter of why this was important was the main intent was to place a, if you, I can use this expression, to place a, a bridle or a muzzle upon the proneness of man as a result of the fall to lying. Okay? It's a subject we don't want to deal with, but you realize that because of the fall, we are still prone to lie. Now, I know it's, it's one of those words that we often say, well, I'm not a liar, but we are prone to lie. Uh, one of the great problems that Moses had to deal with, and you study this through his life and you study it through the, the, the books of the Pentateuch specifically, you will find out Moses had to deal with the tendency of people to lie to one another and to deliberately say things that just weren't true. I don't have to tell you today, we're, we're living in that society. I mean, we are living in a society that lies roll off people's tongues as if they don't even have to think about how they're going to lie. It just rolls off. And the lie has gotten so deep that they actually believe it's true. But then there were those who deliberately tell those lies. So life, just like with divorce... Life was becoming to the place where people could not even rely on each other's words and statements anymore. Remember, we even know in our, our own history in life, and you'll hear people talk about this, remember the, remember the good old days when a handshake and a man's word is all that mattered. Well, it doesn't mean that back in the good old days there weren't liars and people who committed perjury, but there was a concept that people in the good old days we're not prone to lie. <laughs> the problem with that argument is, is people have always been prone to lie since the fall. It's the perception of the good old days. It's that old, it's, it, it is that old symptom that we have that if we could just go back 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years or go back 100 years, things would be so much better. It's a, it's a false remembrance of what history actually is. So there are these things happening. So the chief purpose of the law was to keep in check 
man from lying and to control it. The very same principle that was true with regard to divorce is true here. So another object of the Mosaic legislation, not only to control what was going on, but also was to restrict oath-taking to only be used in serious and important matters. Now, what was going on? Well, Jesus is mentioning that he says that, again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself. Now, the word forswear there is actually the word perjury. It's to perjure yourself. Uh, it's the idea of a witness on a witness stand in a court of law who says something that is not true. They commit perjury. Okay, they, we'll get into that in just a moment. They had made a, 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 they took an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So forswearing is to perjure yourself or to commit perjury. So there was a tendency though that it crept into society that people would take an oath for just about anything, no matter how small or trivial it might be. Now here's where the problem came in. They would take that very insignificant oath in the name of God. The objection here, or the object of the legislation, or the law rather, was to put an end to people just taking an oath for trivial things. In other words, it was meant to show that when an oath is taken... An oath is a very solemn and a very serious matter that should not be taken lightly. Now, again, I won't explain them now. We make many, many, society makes many, many oaths just pretty offhandedly. Promises. Takes an oath and says, I will do this or I will do this. The idea here is, is that these oaths should be reserved only for those causes or circumstances where there is an exceptional outcome that may come as a result of something not being told truthfully. In many ways, and we're going to see this over this week and next week, an oath was ordered to be given, especially when a nation was involved especially with, with the nation of Israel. We'll talk about that. So, in other words, what Jesus is telling here is he's so concerned about reminding them of the seriousness of the, even the smallest details of their life. The small details of even when and how and why do we take an oath. This was all to remind not only the children of Israel, but especially those hearers now to remind them of their relationship to God. I'm related to God. I am one of his children. That everything I do is under the watchful eye of God. God is overall and every part of my life matters. Now again, we're, getting, we're going somewhere with this, so hang in there. So one of the great principles, one of the great principles of the law, which is being illustrated is that we must always bear in mind and keep this Mosaic commandment and the statement, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Jesus is telling, and even the Mosaic law was meant to, to remind them, everything you do is important. 
There is no small, trivial matter in your life that really doesn't matter. Everything does matter. Why? Because they're God's people. What matters as God's people? Our talk matters. Our conversation matters. And it matters in the taking of oaths. So an oath should never be taken without the reality of knowing that God is looking upon His children. And He sees them. So we recognize the seriousness of an oath. Why? Because of the relationship to God. So the Mosaic legislation was easy to understand as far as that there was a, that was the intent. So that leads us to the second heading, which is the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. Which, this is what Jesus is exposing. This is what he's correcting. Again, look at that verse 33 again. Thou shalt not forswear thyself but shall perform unto the Lord thine oath. So now if we consider the principle that we just saw, the trouble with what the Pharisees and the scribes were saying was that they were taking, just like they did with divorce, a very legal uh, stance on it. It was a black and white type of an issue. They were more concerned about the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. Now here's where it starts to begin where we start seeing what Jesus really means. As long as they could persuade themselves that they were in fact keeping the letter of the law, they were content and perfectly happy. So in other words, they would say, we're keeping the letter of the law and because we are keeping it, then we're content, we know what we're doing. How does that tie to what we talked about with divorce? Because remember what they believed? They believe that when, when adultery was only talking about physical adultery. So their conclusion was what? As long as I'm not guilty of physical adultery, I'm fine. Is everybody seeing the pattern here? There's this black and white legal approach to this. And of course, we've learned, we learned over the last few weeks that Jesus was not just talking about physical adultery. He was talking about the adultery that even goes in the mind. So the same thing happened with adultery. The same thing happened with divorce. And now here it raises its head again. They had so twisted the meaning and turned it and phrased it into a legal form that allowed them the ability to do many things that, contra that were, was contradictory to the spirit of the law. They felt... We're free to do this because we have not broken the letter of the law. So what they did is they, they put the whole purpose to the one question. Perjury. So their whole question is perjury. Now again, why does this matter? Well, to commit perjury was to them a very serious and a very solemn matter. It was a terrible sin. And their conclusion was this. They denounced perjury, but then you are free to take all kinds of oaths and do all sorts of things, but as long as you don't commit perjury, you're not guilty before the law. Now hopefully we're seeing where the problem is with that. They treated it as the only problem with an oath. Okay, here this is important. The only problem with taking an oath is just don't commit perjury. That's not what the intent was. 
And that's why this is so important. You're going to see, you'll see the importance with this. This idea that's saying that if I can just keep the letter of the law, or I can keep the, the letter of the law, we find ourselves that all of these matters are highly relevant to what we're talking about today. There's the same attitude towards things in the church today. There's the same things in Christian faith. Uh, it's, it's found in, in almost every type of a religion, even among people who maybe have good intentions. What do I mean by that? We're very much isolationists. And what I mean by that is, is we like to isolate a certain activity and a certain thing and denounce it. So what we say is, if you do that, that's sin. And as long as you're not doing that, then all was well with you. That was the Pharisees' idea. As long as I'm not committing perjury, I can take as many oaths as I want. That's not, that's not what taking an oath, that was not the standard. How often, even in our own lives, do we find this in certain sectors, and I hope this is not us, but this is the modern view of what it is to be holy. Holiness and worldliness are defined in a manner often that is far away from what the Bible actually teaches. Like some people would say, the most ungodly thing you could do is this activity. Uh, go to this place. Say this word. Dress like this. Okay? To them, that's the whole sum of what's wrong. Now, if you've ever been exposed to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is this hobby horse mentality that says, look, this is the, this is the definition of what being all right with God looks like. Just avoid this. I've been in churches that there's such an emphasis, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, there's, been, there's such an emphasis on dress, outward dress, that it sounds like that if you get that matter straight... All else is fine with God. You can't go to church without hearing about what you're wearing that day. Again, this is not a message about modesty. It's not a message about dress. It's the dress standard becomes the very thing that the preacher says, if you're dressed right, then everything else in your life will be okay. That's kind of the idea of what the, what the Pharisees were doing. They had the idea about divorce, they had the idea about adultery, they had the idea about temptation, and now they got the idea that the only problem with taking an oath is just don't lie. And that was not what the intent was. You cannot isolate and confine the definitions of holiness to one single matter. That was the trouble with the Pharisees. They, took the, they made the whole question of oaths only about perjury. In other words, they don't find any harm in a man taking an oath at any time as long as he did not perjure or forswear himself. As long as he didn't do that, then he could take an oath by heaven. He could swear to heaven, swear by Jerusalem, swear by his own head. They opened the door for people to just simply multiply how many oaths they're taking at any time, no matter what the matter was about. That's what's leading Jesus to say, wait a minute, that's not what it's about. That's why he uses the terminology, swear not at all. 
neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. What the Pharisees had started to do is the oath had become, had, had become such a way that you could make an oath and swear to anything you wanted to, swear by anything, as long as you didn't lie. Again, you might be sitting here saying tonight, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with us. The other characteristic of that, their false interpretation, was that they drew a distinction between the different types of oaths. What they would say is some oaths are binding, while others are not. If you took an oath, for example, this is more in the historical part, if you took an oath by the temple, you weren't bound to that. But if you took an oath by the gold of the temple, then that was binding. Okay, so they even began to give their own definition of what was a binding oath. Now, this is interesting. I want you to turn to Matthew 23. Because this is the... Now, with the context of what I just said, okay? This is kind of... We're kind of in deep water. But I want you to see what... When Jesus is talking in Matthew 23, oftentimes we don't even think about the emphasis is on this very thing that I just said about the binding of oaths. What's binding, what's not. Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. Okay, now that's what I just said. They, part of their oath was, if you swear by the temple, it doesn't mean anything. It's not binding. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Which means, if you take an oath to the gold of the temple, then you, that oath is binding. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, that is the altar, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Now, if you notice, again, just kind of flip back to Matthew 5. Do you see Jesus is not introducing some brand new teaching here, because he's referencing swearing by heaven, swearing by earth, Swearing by Jerusalem and even swearing by your own head. He's specifically addressing the Pharisees and the scribes about this. And back in verse, verse 22 of Matthew 23, He that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have to done, ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now, I will tell you, most times when you hear the woe on the scribes and Pharisees, People run right through those verses to get to the, if you blind guides in verse 24, which strain it a gnat and swallow a camel. Clean up the outside of the platter. Not very few times do you hear anybody park on the context of why Jesus was saying, Woe unto you, was about taking oaths. And what you're swearing by. 
This is another one of those examples where expositional context matters so deeply. Because how many times have we heard Jesus and people in a preaching service talk about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees? You realize he's calling them a hypocrite in the context we just read with regard to their interpretation of taking an oath. That's key to what's happening here. So if you took an oath by the altar, you didn't have to keep it. But if you took an oath by the gift that was on the altar, then it was absolutely binding. Our Lord is putting complete ridicule on the Pharisees and the scribes about their perversion of the law with regard to taking oaths. He's also exposing their dishonesty of why, what they're using the law for. Folks, we really, need to take, we really need to observe what Jesus is doing here because the depth of what he's actually saying and what he's doing here is there are certain things in a believer's life that have to be treated this way. We, have, we, are, we are living in a, in a and I, I hope you folks realize this, we are living in a generation that is quickly losing all sense of biblical principles. Okay? You cannot make the assumption that the overriding thought process in the world is based on biblical principles. Like if you think the world system is thinking about what does the Bible have to say about this, we're fooling ourselves. But we're not just losing that in society, we're losing that inside the church where the church doesn't even know what the Bible actually says. They're putting out their own interpretation of what they think the law should be, and yet what it really is is a corruption and a perversion of God's word, yet they're declaring that's what it is. So go back to my earlier illustration. Get your dress standards right and everything else is good. You see what's happening. Jesus is trying to show them and expose them for what, they're, what they really are. So Jesus, having spoken about the Pharisees, this, there was a dishonesty about what they were doing. This dishonesty, and they tried to connect the taking of oaths and saying, this is what God says. Ultimately, folks, what Jesus is doing is he, ex- he is exposing and denouncing it for what it is. What were the Pharisees ultimately guilty of? They were guilty of distinguishing between an oath and an oath. So what they were doing was saying, well, some oaths are binding, some oaths are not. And that was the result of the teaching that solemn oaths had become common and just treated in a light manner. So that's where the contrast begins. And I just want to introduce this and then we're going to stop. So just five more minutes and then we're just going to introduce this third section. So here's the contrast. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Now, it's not coincidental that he said, by heaven, for it is God's throne. Here is the very lawgiver himself speaking. God himself standing absolutely in his humanity, but still yet God speaking with total authority as if the entire Godhead is there speaking, right? He says, I, basically, who gave the law, am saying this to you. 
Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. What in the world does he mean? The first thing we really have to do is deal with a very concrete example of what this demonstrates. There is this idea, and there are certain denominations, there are certain religions who have taken a great interest in this small paragraph about swear not at all. And it goes to the point where they believe that what this means is that you don't even, you, they will refuse to even take an oath in a court of law. Okay, they, won't, they say that what that means is you don't take an oath even in a court of law. So what they're saying is, what Je- they're saying what Jesus meant here is that it is a complete and absolute ban upon the taking of an oath in every shape or form under every circumstance whatsoever. They're saying that Jesus saying swear not at all, it is our business to simply take his words as they are. Now, I understand the argument that way. I understand the argument of saying, well, if he says swear not at all, doesn't he mean that you never, ever, ever take an oath? The problem is, is when we get into comparing Scripture with Scripture, we're going to see actually God-given commands to take an oath, actually to swear. So that's not what he could have meant. He didn't mean that all oaths are banned. So we examine it from this position. Not because a matter of taking oaths in a, in a court of law is what's being dealt with here specifically. Okay, again, if, if, I, if I just narrow this down to that area and I say an oath, that's a court of law. But the reality is, is Jesus had much more in mind than, for example, the American courtroom. I understand we read, we read the Bible from a very American perspective. And we tend, and some of us preachers are guilty of this, I'm guilty of this, of every illustration sometimes comes from an American way of life. So we immediately assume, oh, oath. That thing where they take the Bible and you raise your right hand and you put your left hand on the Bible, and you say, I don't even know they do, they do that in the courtroom anymore. Do they use the Bible still? It's what it used to be. But our mind immediately runs to that, and we say, oh, that's an oath. Yet the Bible is actually full of times where God actually says that there's an oath to be taken. So, those that interpret the passage this way are placing themselves in an almost similar situation to the legal position that the Pharisees and scribes had. If we reduce this whole paragraph down to simply taking an oath in a court of law, then we are concentrating on what Jesus just said in Matthew 23 about the mint and the anise and the cumin and forgetting the weightier matters of the law. So this is not just about taking an oath in a court of law. Because here's one of the issues. The very fact that the Old Testament, God laid down 
certain legislation and law as to how and when oaths should be taken. So if you read the Old Testament for what it is, there are actually times where the scripture, we're going to look at this beginning next week, actually says, here's when you take an, here's when you take an oath and here's when you don't take an oath. So it is conceivable that God, God could have made it so that man never has to take an oath at all. But there's also the practice of taking an oath. For example, when Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, he first extracted an oath from him. Abraham, who's called the friend of God, was, there was a, an oath he extracted from Isaac. Jacob extracted an oath from Joseph. Joseph extracted an oath from his brethren, and Jonathan asked an oath from David. You, it's impossible for you to read through the Old Testament without seeing that on certain occasions, these men that we would consider to be holy men had to take an oath in a serious matter. That's the common denominator. Every oath in Scripture was connected with a serious matter. It wasn't just taken for anything. It was connected to a serious matter. We are told that Jesus, we even have a higher authority than that when Jesus in his own trial in Matthew 26 in verse 63, we're told Jesus holds his peace. It's really an amazing portion of scripture. He holds his peace. Matthew 26, 63, I'll just read it to you. It says, but the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou shalt tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Here he, Jesus is being, high, being tried by a high priest. And the priest answers and asks him, he says, I adjure thee by the living God. But our Lord didn't say, you can't speak like that, I adjure thee, or I'm extracting that you are you who you say you are. He didn't condemn him even for using the name of God in this manner. He didn't denounce it, but he seemed to regard it as something that's even perfectly legitimate at that moment. And it's only then that he replied. And then he gives the full, he, the full reply. He says, Jesus saith unto him, thou hast said... Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. So we're going to stop there for tonight, but I want to, I want to remind you of what we're, what we're dealing with and what we're talking about. It's not something that we can just simply kind of come to one conclusion and say, okay, I've got it. I know what he's talking about here. Because Jesus, and every time, he, especially during the Sermon on the Mount, he always took the negative aspect of what was being taught, always corrected it, and always put it with a positive as to what was actually to be the case. So if we approach Matthew 5 in this verses 33 through 37 without being able to come to a conclusion next week about what he's actually saying about oaths, we will have missed it. We can only come to the conclusion tonight that we know that he's not saying that you can never take an oath. 
And he's not saying that there's nothing wrong with taking an oath as long as you don't forswear. But the reality is, is that these oaths are to be taken only in a most serious and solemn manner. That's really what the principle of what we're getting to and what Jesus is talking about. So we'll consider the rest of this uh, next week as we consider this. And we'll get into next week about how the Apostle Paul in that verse I gave you before in Romans 9, where Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. We'll see Paul himself all but making oaths that he is not lying. He is, he is taking an oath that what he says is actually true. All right. Let's go ahead and we'll finish with prayer. And then I want to give you just a couple of verses to be on our way in the way of a, just a small benediction tonight, just some verses to think about as we go. But let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you, Father, for the word of God. And Lord, I pray now as we prepare to leave here in just a few moments. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us understanding through the Spirit that as we study these, these texts, that uh, Lord, we, we look at these for the truth in which is, is on the pages. Uh, Lord, it's, it's easy to come away with a conclusion already as to what we think, what we want it to be. And Lord, just help us to, to understand the entirety of this text, Lord, as uh, we still have verses to cover. But Lord, we do pray that you help us to grasp uh, these principles and these concepts we've learned tonight already. Father, there's no doubt these are, this is a difficult subject. This is a topic uh, that, that uh, in some ways even seems uh, in our humanity to be contradictory. Uh, but Lord, I just pray you'd help give us clarity uh, through your spirit. Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen. If you would, go ahead and stand. Let me just read these verses to you and then we'll just, just be dismissed here. Romans 15, I was reading this this afternoon and I want to just leave you with these thoughts. Romans 15 verses 4, 5, and 6 and then verse 13 says this. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Again, I appreciate you being here tonight. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. All right, Lord bless you. Thank you.